0: All right, so we—I uh, guess it took us. Uh, we've been down. Let me start over. <laughs> Figure out what I'm fun talking about. So I don't remember the exact route we went down, but we started a path a little while ago. What did we watch before? Oh, uh, before M Squad. What led us to M Squad with Lee Marvin? What was it that we watched? God, I can't remember. Quark. Oh, that must be why.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're going way back.
0: We got recommended the show Quark, and I found out Quark was made by the guy who did Get Smart. So we watched <laughs> Get Smart, and then Get Smart made me think of Police Squad. Yeah, and then Police Squad led to M Squad, M Squad led to the Mod Squad. So yeah, we've been on a sort of basic path of cop-type shows, or spy-type shows, or espionage, or whatever, be they serious or comedic. So we're finally at the Avengers, because I guess we've just been... <laughs> been circling this one for a bit, waiting to get here. So I always remember, I just remember the Avengers being a show that was on a lot when I was a kid. You must have been watching it in reruns when I was a kid. I assume it was like A&E. Do you remember in the 80s? And
1: For sure. it's the uh, It was, um, well, British TV from the, it would be the late 60s. When the, the Cold War was really at its height, and of course you had all those James Bond films with Sean Connery from the 1960s, extremely popular, and so much spy stuff, uh, because it, that's just what it was in the 60s, the, the Third World and the Russians versus the Americans and all this spy ep- espionage stuff going on. So the Avengers is out of there, and but it's uh, British, MI5 and all that business. And, of course, you get John Steed and his cohort, Emma Peel, who, of course, is the sexy-looking girl that has to be in those things. They can never just have male spy. <laughs> they got to have some woman connected in with them, too, who's a real gorgeous little babe. Um, but it, it, it's that standard British stuff, you know, where they don't just put everything in your face. And uh, they make you second-guess things. And you really have to watch stuff to kind of figure out what's going on. And sometimes it's only at the very end that it all kind of falls into place. Uh, Very, you know, underplayed and downplayed and good show. Good show.
0: Yeah. It's one of those shows I remember, I more, I guess, remember it just being on, or I remember you watching it more than I remember it myself. I definitely remember John Steed and, uh, and Emma Peel. But now that I looked into it a bit, yeah, there's a lot more to this show than I realized. So it's kind of cool. So, uh, I guess I can just give you the quick rundown of stuff I learned about the Avengers, because the other thing that's neat about this show is it came out at just the right time that a lot of the stuff we've talked about on this podcast about different eras of especially British TV, this straddled all of them. It's like every type of British show that there was tech wise, it seems like this show kind of touched on. So, The Avengers, it's a British espionage television series created in 1961 that ran until 1969 for 161 episodes, but those early ones, as I get into it, you'll see why uh, I don't even know if they ever aired over here. It was like a whole different thing. So it initially focused on David Keel, played by Ian Hendry, with a D. Do you know Ian Hendry?
1: I don't think, no, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, because he left the show to go on to movies, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who he is, so maybe maybe we'd know his face if we saw him. Yeah, maybe. But it doesn't really matter, because the episodes he was on don't exist mostly anymore. Okay, I'll get to that. So so he was David Keel, aided by John Steed, played by Patrick McNee. Hendry left after the first series, and Steed then became the main character, partnered with a succession of assistants. Babes. Yeah, so I guess in season one it was it was two dudes. And yeah, they were like, "No thank you." <laughs> Let's bring in someone <laughs> his most famous assistants were intelligent, stylish, and assertive women. Of course, Emma Peel as Diana Rigg, but also Kathy Gale played by Honor Blackman, aka Pussy Galore.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Pussy Galore from uh James Bond. <laughs> yeah. I vaguely remember her being in those.
0: There's a line in the movie train spotting. It's not nice, but it's like Pussy fucking galore, what a fucking misnomer. I would not touch her with yours. (laughs) It's like, come on, she's pretty hot. (laughs) But apparently they didn't think so. So uh, by 1969, The Avengers was shown in more than 90 countries. So yeah, like a ridiculous success. And then ITV produced a sequel series called The New Avengers in 1976 and 1977, with Patrick McNee returning as John Steed, but with two new partners. Did you ever see that show?
1: I think I did see some of the new Avengers. I don't think it was as good though, if I remember of it.
0: It definitely did not survive uh, into reruns because I I never I did not know there was another one. Uh in 2004 and 2007, The Avengers was ranked number 17 and number 20 on TV Guide's top cult shows ever. So yeah, so here's the uh by season, just the different weird stuff that happened with this show. So in season one, Ian Hendry was considered the star. He had top billing over Mcnee, and the series was shot on 405 line videotape. And there was little provision for editing and virtually no location footage was shot. And as was standard practice at the time, videotapes of early episodes of the Avengers were quote unquote reused, AKA erased. (laughs) So only three episodes from season one still exist. And, you know, we've, mentioned that many times as these old shows it's such a shame that they taped over them but the way they described that here it does make more sense if it's taped on videotape no provision for editing and no location footage so basically they're just shooting a play they can't edit it they have to do it all on a stage so it kind of makes more sense when you think of it that way for them to tape over it because they were only taping it in the first place in order to broadcast the play they were putting on It does kind of make sense that that doesn't feel like something you need to hold on to. It was just a a middle step to get the play onto TV and then you tape over it. I mean, it's still a shame, but that did help me understand a little of like, oh yeah, like to them, this wasn't a TV show. It was just a, a play on TV.
1: Like something live action. And also they would have no idea. Uh, about the longevity of this thing, that it would be so popular, they probably just said, oh, yeah, okay, we think it's pretty darn good, but let's get this show out. But it probably has limits as to who's going to watch it. So when they're short of money, short of time, yeah, let's just just go over that one and use parts of it if we have to, because we just got to get this show out. Like, you wouldn't be thinking 50 years down the line, what are people going to say about this show? Nobody thinks that. They just think, hey get it out today. We've got to get this job done. we got to get our pay.
0: Yeah. And they definitely obviously couldn't conceive at all of uh, the magical infinite space of the internet. You know, now that we can put every TV show ever made on the internet a thousand times over and it's just invisible. It's just floating in the air. I mean, like, yeah, I'm just going to have you click a link on the computer and we can magically watch it. Like, obviously, they didn't know that was coming. So by season two, Hendry had quit to pursue a film career. There was also a, a strike that happened in season one, so he was extra willing to get out of TV and try to get into movies. So McNee was promoted to the star. That's when Honor Blackman was introduced as Dr. Kathy Gale, a self-assured, quick-witted anthropologist who was unlike other female characters of the time. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about her character, but it does seem like the sort of mold Emma Peel was in first was done with this other character but a kind of interesting thing because i've heard this happen in other examples too one of the reasons why she was this like brassy strong character who was the equal of of John Steed was because the writers just took ian hendry's dialogue and they're like we're not going to rewrite all this so they just gave her the dialogue that was meant for a man so she got to be a main character in this backward, sexist way, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, I guess whatever gets you there.
1: But again, that's very fitting, very fitting for the time, because you had the the women's lib movement was just really gaining, starting to gain momentum in the early nineteen sixties, um, which later, you know, really developed in the late nineteen sixties. But was starting to get a hold, and and women were starting to get into the workforce and. They had just gone through World War II 10 years earlier and had been, um, 10, 15 years earlier, had been, uh, working in factories and all this stuff. And then when the men came back, you know, they weren't really content to go back into the kitchen and do all that barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen routine. So it's fitting that there is a woman character being introduced in the early 1960s who's very smart, mannish, possibly, uh. lives in a man's world and doesn't take a lot of guff off of anybody that it's kind of a forerunner to what was going to happen in the world later with with the you know women kind of taking hold of things
0: yeah it definitely was appropriate to the time like the right character at the right time it's just kind of weird and sort of disappointing to learn that it was like almost an accident you know, there was this TV strike and then their star left and they were just too lazy to rewrite the dialogue. And then by accident, you know, you know, it wasn't anybody's like distinct choice. It just luckily turned out that way. And there's an even worse story like that once we get to Diana Rigg, but I'll get there pretty soon. Yeah. So then Blackman left because she was cast opposite Sean Connery and Goldfinger, requiring her to leave the series. So that was season two and three. Then season four was the big jump, so probably, well, I guess for sure the stuff that we had rerun here, because, you know, it always had Diana Rigg pretty much in it, was at this point. Because this is where, instead of filming it like a play, or filming it in one take and all that stuff, for the fourth season, the show was sold to the American broadcasting company, ABC, in uh, 1965. The Avengers became one of the first British series to be aired on primetime U.S. television, and the US deal meant money. So it meant the producers could afford to start shooting the series on thirty-five millimeter film, which they had to do anyway because those British videotapes were not compatible with our NTSC videotapes. We just had two different formats, so they they couldn't easily show the old episodes anyway, so so it was like a win win. They got to film on film, they got to film it like a real TV show, quote unquote. And uh and yeah, just made it to America. So the new female partner was Mrs. Emma Peel, Diana Rigg, who debuted in October 1965. Okay, so this is, again, one of these things that this is much worse than the uh, Honor Blackman example. So yeah, the name Emma Peel, where it came from, is they wanted a character with man appeal. And when they were Developing this character, they called her Samantha Peel, just as a weird joke about man-appeal, which they shortened to Mantha Peel. And in their scripts, as a shorthand, they just called this Mantha Peel, which is Mantha. What the hell kind of name is Mantha? They shortened it to M-appeal for man-appeal. And then M-appeal, obviously, is (laughs) M-appeal. So her name... Yeah, her name is basically Hot Girl, It's like basically <laughs> what Emma Peel comes from. So again, it's like so weird that you've got this character who became such an icon and was so famous, but essentially backstage they were calling her like, I don't know, Hot Boots Haver" or whatever. Like it's just like this <laughs> not, it's just such a silly name. But I guess it's fine because nobody at home knew this origin story. They didn't know. They just think she's this cool, self-assured character. But again, it's just disappointing when you hear the behind the scenes and it's like, man. Oh, I know. Yeah, like the men of 1965 were not at all progressive yet. <laughs> you know, Like, again, just like an accident almost.
1: The women were progressive. The men weren't.
0: Yeah, which speaking of, to wrap up with uh, the different stuff, for the fifth season, the show moved to color. So again, it went all the way from the tape system to film to then to color but diana rigg left the series because of poor pay she was actually getting paid less than some of the crew and when she found out she insisted they pay her like a star of the show which she was so they did do that but just in general the producers she just felt never treated her very well so she moved on to also go on to film Uh, and then the show really didn't last too long without her they did try to bring in another another woman, but she was like the girlfriend of a producer. It didn't, didn't work. Although Diana Rigg and Patrick McNee remained lifelong friends. So that's nice. Those two got along. It was just the people behind the scenes that kind of sucked. But yeah, I was just going to say too, uh, oh, and hold on, what episode do we have? I looked up just a list of, you know, good episodes of the Avengers. And, uh, I jumped us to season four when, uh, Emma appeal arrived. So we are in black and white, but we are at the point where it was shot on film. This is season four, episode nine. It's called The Hour That Never Was. So if anybody wants to watch along at home, that's what we're watching. But uh, real quick before we throw that on, I'll just mention real quick that the other famous example I always heard of this similar type of situation, especially with uh, how Honor Blackman just had Ian Hendry's dialogue Is the other example like that is uh, Ellen Ripley from Alien, who, I think that was 1979, but again, like a very famous female character, but it turns out that in the script, they were all uh, soldiers, so she was just labeled as Ripley, and the reason she's such a cool badass who beats the alien in the end is because, again, she wasn't supposed to be a woman. Ripley was just one of the soldiers. And then they cast a woman and accidentally moved society forward a little bit. But it's a very similar story of like, man, these behind the scenes stories are not always very fun to learn.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> so yeah, with my uh, very limited memory of that show, to me that felt like a very weird episode. Did you feel that way, or did that more or less? Is that more or less how you remembered the Avengers?
1: I remember them as being very, uh, very convoluted, so that you couldn't really figure out what was happening. And this did that. I mean, I didn't have a friggin' clue what was going on <laughs> until they all brought it together in the last let's say five minutes that's what i remember about these shows
0: yeah and i'll give it credit for that i'm surprised that it it had such a uh coherent explanation basically anyone who hasn't seen this episode we're, we're going to kind of spoil it now but it's uh it's like a mind control plot like a manchurian candidate thing this guy he's trying to brainwash a bunch of military people Because their their units being broken up and sent around the world, so he'll have like sleeper agents that he can sell to the highest bidder, spread all over the world. But leading up to that explanation is like just like an empty base, and it seems like time is frozen, and and yeah, it's like really made no sense. So I I was kind of impressed that in the end it actually made sense. (laughs) You know, that's That's
1: my memory of these shows of of always being very. Like yeah, like what the hell's happening here? And you and and it was the kind of show that you couldn't just uh, go to the fridge and muck around and come back and being able just to tie back into it, you couldn't because you couldn't figure out what was going on. Very very British in its uh, in its genre, here. very very
0: British. Yeah, and I do wonder sometimes if uh, you know when I look up these lists of top episodes. Sometimes that can lead you to weird stuff because the episodes that really stick in people's memories sometimes are the more unusual ones. So I feel like that could be the case here because, uh, like what was kind of interesting about that episode is that for like the first, at least half of the episode, it really was just the two main characters in an empty airfield. And it did kind of show like what a good rapport they had with each other that they made that interesting but it was certainly weird, you know? Like I bet that is one of those episodes that you would remember years later. You're like, "Hey, remember that one? That was a weird one." <laughs> you know. But I don't know. I I would question if this is really one of the best ones. I feel like it's probably not, but it wasn't bad. It was definitely interesting.
1: I could see a lot of people watching that, walking away from that show and saying, "Nothing's happening. I'm not going to watch that." Um, but yeah, you got to hang in there and it all comes together at the end.
0: Although I was surprised, too, reading about it, that they brought up that it it kind of became more and more sci-fi as it went, because, again, in my limited memory, I thought it was more of a straightforward... You know, I knew he was like a uh, a kind of cool gentleman, sort of like James Bond, but more lighthearted. I didn't realize it had this, like, science fictiony type stuff, and this episode did feel like the outer limits a bit or Twilight Zone. But but even that like light, not as weird as that, but sort of like that.
1: But yet when it all comes together at the end, it's very much into that spy business where they're always trying new experimental drugs and there's always there's always that kind of weird stuff going on in espionage that that you wouldn't normally well in the normal world you'd have no contact with at all.
0: Yeah, and, uh, it it really is, yeah, it is impressive in that way, that it went from starting, like, the Twilight Zone and ending, like, a spy thing, but, yeah, I remember I, I read a thing once about, um, they tried to train cats to, uh, do surveillance, I think it was during the Cold War, because, you know, a cat's so innocuous, no one suspects a cat, so they hooked up, they figured out how to hook up cameras and stuff to this cat, and, uh, They spent all kinds of money trying to train this cat, and the cat just ran off and, like, got hit by a truck or something, like, right away. (laughs) Because you can't train a cat. But that's a good example of, yeah, there is always, they're always trying to do some weird thing just to get one up on the enemy. One thing that it reminded me of, speaking of British TV, just I guess the way, you know, he's the older, more experienced. Fellow, and he has the young, more amateur companion. And I guess with the sci fi stuff, it gave me a real Doctor Who vibe, you know, like this could almost be Doctor Who and Doctor Who's companion coming up against a weird situation, you know, it felt kind of like that.
1: Yeah, I thought of that myself. Actually, Doctor Who crossed my mind at certain points where I was watching this.
0: Uh, when you were watching these, Do you remember, I don't remember like if the ones I saw were more black and white or color. Do you remember if you saw the color ones more or the black and white ones more?
1: I would have seen the black and white ones, but then we didn't have a color TV as soon as color TVs came out either. We were still watching some black and white after color had hit the scenes, but I don't remember watching them. Like after I moved to Camp Bellow Island, I remember Star Trek being a real big deal and it was in color on our TV. I don't remember really seeing much of the Avengers once I once I was in high school and moved to Camp Bellow.
0: That is a good point. I hadn't thought of that about uh, it doesn't matter, I guess, if the show is in color or not. If your TV is not in color, I didn't, didn't even cross my mind.